This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello there. Welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition, or Weekends with Bullshit, as it's also known. I'm Peter Gowers. This guy's name is Leon Logan-Nathan. That's me. And this guy is Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Hello, gents. How are you? Yeah, good, guys. Good yeah, good, mm. good to be here. Good to be here in the flesh again. Absolutely. I hope the audience is enjoying the uh, uh, increased uh, audio quality. The beautiful broadcast <laughs> sound quality. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they've really noticed. It's <laughs> fantastic. Well, let's burn this place to the ground, Chris. Okay. Well, first cab off the rank. We've been ICACing and talking about ICAC for many, many episodes, and today they dropped one, finally. Well, I think I think someone's been listening <laughs> <laughs> to you. <Leon. laughs> Two public servants cleared of improper conduct, but procurement procedures not fit for purpose, according to ICAC. Anti-government's mm-hmm. um, procurement processes are susceptible to corruption and have not been fixed for more than a decade, despite repeated incidents an Office of the Independent Commissioner Against Corruption report into alleged improper conduct has found. What do you say about that, Chris? Oh, well, look, the way that that kind of came out today, the way they worded that, I think they put that out. We were in a meeting, we left about 11.30, I think just before noon that came out, and I was getting a call by the time I made it back to the office, and somebody said, yeah, so, so, so the ICAC has found that the public service isn't corrupt, (laughs) <laughs> and I said, wow. no, no, I think you're, you're misunderstanding what's going on here. Yeah. There's no way he could possibly find that. <laughs> so I made it very clear in the headline for our story. Two public servants have been cleared of any kind of right. corrupt conduct or whatever they're calling it now, unsatisfactory conduct. But they did find that these two public servants who were alleged to have engaged in some sort of conduct involving procurement processes in an unnamed department, they did find that they did not act, uh, I, I suppose you would say adhering to best practice is how the ICAC put it. Right. So now Closer it, to worst practice. Yeah. And it, well, and that's so hard to establish here because, you know, getting back to the lead of the story there, And this is what I found the most important, not that two public servants have been cleared of any corrupt conduct, but really that that after all these years, after more than a decade of being warned, you know, and being told of incidents happening in Auditor General's reports for years, that nothing happened. Nothing has happened for more than a decade. And including, Mm -hmm. you know, there was something like 19 Auditor General reports that referenced procurement problems, problems in the procurement process in the anti-government. Uh, 19 since 2010 and nothing wow. was done. <laughs> like we know at the end of it, they say, uh, the, you know, the department gets to respond to the auditor general reports and says, oh yeah, we're, we'll look into it. You know, we'll fix it. <laughs> but here we go. I mean, we're 11 years later and there's nothing done. There's mm-hmm. absolutely nothing done. So when he says, you know, that, that they, they fail to adhere to best practice, you got to think, what is best practice because that's not really established here best practice is whatever the hell goes yeah you know however anybody wants to interpret this thing but clearly you know maybe they didn't act with the best interests of the territory at heart or or territorians because we see in here where you know in this particular instance and i'm telling you with this like to do a report like this about 
so basically the nuts and bolts of it, the details, I mean, there were spires, like we didn't get a lot. We don't know what department. Yeah. We don't know what, how, even the value of the tender that's alleged to have been. Well, we, know, we have an idea. Yeah. Because they say it should have been a three, uh, a tier three. Tier three. Yeah. And so, and that would have warranted having three people on the panel selection and yeah, the panel. Um, instead, they only did two. Right. And but was there any explanation as to why they only did two? No. Not well, not in the report. There's wasn't many many details. It's a very brief report. But I'm thinking like you start picking stuff like this. Like I went to some people I know who have filed complaints with the ICAC about mm. things and I said, Did you do you know anything about this one? And they said, No, no, and other people said no. I mean, really, ostensibly you could do one every week. Yeah. Into this. Like th there's no reason why you well, shouldn't. Well, Ken Fleming says twenty percent of all reports to his office involve improper procurement processes yeah yeah so one in five yeah so you know i'm i'm curious i mean this must have been a high value enough that yeah or that they thought there was something to really pursue this one because there's got to be so many of these yeah correct but like i said you might as well do one every week because sooner or later you're going to find people who acted corruptly it's a lot of averages this there. is the process whereby the government needs something so they put it out to tender mm -hmm. and i mean we talked to um uh, Terry Pullman about this mm. uh, with, you know, supplying office equipment and things like that. And, yes, yes. And her comment to us was, well, it's not worth actually spending the time and effort half the time to do those tenders because we already know who's going to win the work. Yeah. Yes. So it's that this type of process we're talking about. Yeah. There's so many issues here with this. I mean, so in this one, you know, there was some, so what they did was they did what they usually do, which is this, this idea of putting the value for territory as a thing. So they add up all the different variables. You got the people on the, on the selection panel who then tally everything up and pick out it. In this case, there were two, you know, proposed tenderers and they, they, they tallied everything up. And in this one, they gave it to one company, despite the other company having a higher score. <laughs> right. on their own papers right? right and then somewhere along the way according to this report the the form the spreadsheet was later amended to show that the first company that oh. they given it to was actually the highest score bonus points yeah so right. they changed it and i'm trying to think like and that I, was the brother of <laughs> yeah. and i you know i think i've seen something like this if i haven't seen this one i know of one that's, that's very familiar with this that's why i was asking some people today yeah um, like, I think this happens a lot. So anyway, but, you know, it was the deputy commissioner, Rex Wild, who did this particular investigation. And he found that there was, quote, insufficient evidence of unsatisfactory conduct against the two public servants. However, I find that the officers engaged in conduct that did not comply with the rules and governance of the procurement function, as described as failing to adhere to best practice. That's so, really hard for, for, for me to sort of swallow. I have to be honest about this. I mean, I haven't read the report, but, you know, he's saying that there was, uh, you know, a manipulation of the tender uh, process by, um, what was it, what were the words that you used there, Chris? Um, Where there was, the, the form was amended to show that the first company exactly, was. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. The contract was ultimately awarded to one company despite another company receiving a higher score on a value for territory internal spreadsheet. That form was amended to show the first company was the highest scorer. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So it was amended later. Mm-hmm. So question mark, why was that done? <laughs> and to, then to make a balance. So yeah, I've seen I've seen stuff like this. So how, so, so how is it not the big qu- Yeah, how are they cleared? Well, look, I don't know. You know, he says based on what is it, the probabilities of all things. Uh, balance of probabilities. Balance of probabilities, right. So, and he's saying that, I guess, you know, he's interviewed them all. He's interviewed everybody. He's looked at everything and he can't find that. Uh, so what's unsatisfactory was- about this is there's just not enough information, in my opinion, mm-hmm for the public Mm. to accept that outcome. It it, it just feels like there's just too many holes in this thing. You know, you're saying, look, this um, score was was manipulated and changed after the fact, but then you're saying that there wasn't enough evidence for unsatisfactory conduct. It's not enough to join the dots here, Chris. Mm. It's actually at odds with itself, (laughs) the statement. Well, look, yeah, I mean, I've got an issue when I looked at it because when I saw that email, I thought, okay, wow, we've got something here. This is going to take me hours this afternoon, and it took me a few minutes because Uh, it was only 12 pages, right? And there's no details of anything really of it except for this kind of stuff. So we know that it happened. I mean, is that – yeah, like I, I thought where you're going to, Leanne, I mean, is this enough that it gives people faith that, yeah. oh, this will never happen again? He's just scared the public servants. I think they're all laughing about it. Yeah. Like I think, you know, and to get back to those Auditor General reports where the government's been warned about this for years, told that it's happening, they haven't done anything. He's now given seven recommendations. Hmm. To the nine, in fact. Yeah, was it nine altogether? The report offered nine recommendations for reforming procurement processes. Okay, nine, yeah. Including considering risks in procurement and alloc- whatever that means and allocate resources to prevent it. Okay, well. More staff. Right, more staff, more public <laughs> more. servants. Uh, simplifying the existing processes. Well, yeah, what I are know. you telling us if we don't already know? <laughs> and improving training across all. All of government. I mean, yeah. it's just, it feels bland. Mm. Mm. You know? I, I, <laughs> You've got to read between the lines, though, gentlemen. Two public servants cleared, 19,821. <laughs> 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 dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Uh, the, you know, the other thing, though, I mean, this is this is where we go with this. So and then, you know, questions were sent to, to Gunner about this because it's not saying what department. We don't know what mm-hmm. chief executive for what minister, but it has to be the minister. And so it has to be the chief minister on this yeah. one. Mm. So we sent him questions saying, are you going to actually take these recommendations on board here? Mm. Are you actually going to do anything? Um, also, you know, why hasn't your government? ever debated in parliament or ever even publicly addressed Mm. in press conference or anywhere else these 10 auditor general reports Mm. just since they've been elected in 2016 yeah 10 auditor general reports that showed procurement process failures Mm. that the the corrupt stuff was going on yeah this wasn't done properly they've just never like we've said we've talked about this the auditor general does this they don't talk about it so so the icac one of their recommendations is that the government consider the findings and recommendations from previous auditor general's reports on procurement compliance and incorporate uh, these mm. findings into any reforms. Yeah, well, that's sensible. Yeah, yeah. and mm. but I mean, this is what's been going on. I mean, mm. why haven't they done this? I mean, yeah. these guys, like, you know, Jody Ryan, her brother, Andrew Kirkman, who's running Dipple, yeah, that's not odd. Mm. But, you know, these people, they say 
the, oh yeah, we're doing this. Like at the end of all those auditor general reports, I always say we're looking at it. In this ICAC report, he says, look, the government says that they're um, looking into reforming it. And I laughed out loud when I read that line. And I said, I'm not even quoting that. <laughs> yeah. He said, you know, they're in the process of reforming it. Oh, I mean, yeah. we've heard this. Yeah. We've heard this for 10 years, more than 10 years. And we've heard it every time an auditor general report comes yeah. out that, oh yeah, we're working on it. No, you're not. You're not. And until there's proof yep. that this is being taken seriously, I mean, they're just, they're, they're, they're opening themselves up for corrupt conduct every, mm, well, every time they just ignored an auditor general's report. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. There's no responsibility here for anybody. And nobody's named, no chief executive, no minister. Yeah. These public servants are doing this stuff. Oh, we didn't find this one was corrupt. So we'll keep going. Any, every week we should have a goddamn report like this. Is there, is there <laughs> any, any reason that they're not named? Are they not allowed to be named? I mean, what's the story? Well, there? you know, like this is what I don't get. I mean, this is starting to become police mentality. This is police mentality. Withhold facts. You know, because you don't want to identify somebody who's not guilty yeah. of something. Well, but but in this case, you haven't named anybody. You haven't even named the department. So give us more details in mm. this case. That's mm. what I'm saying. You've I mean, got especially given <laughs> what what factual evidence uh, has has been has been found. Yeah. You, you know, the fact that this report was uh, well the altered, the altered yeah. after the fact is a problem. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, the, the the private sector. Has a there is a strong perception in the private sector that the procurement process, uh, as Pete was saying, mm. is problematic. Mm. Well, to say the least. Yeah. To say the least. Something yeah. broken. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So, broken. so you, none of this is helping address that perception. No, it's more. It's more spotlight on it, I suppose, in yeah. that sense, and it gives a media spotlight. So. I guess the ICAC still knew enough that the the other media will report on his reports, but they've long ago given up reporting on the Auditor General reports, right. which I would say are probably more informative mm. yeah. and more important for preventing it, fraud and corruption in the NT. Yeah. And then nobody's reporting on those yeah. anymore. And that, I mean, they're so significant, but I guess everyone's tired of her, of Julie Crisp and her reports finding the same thing over and over and over and nobody does anything about it. So let's stop reporting it. Like, yeah. you know, this is, this is what leads to a broken democracy and a, a completely broken place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm disappointed. And, and just back to that on the, the lack of details. So, you know, they don't even say corrupt conduct, right? Now it's unsatisfactory conduct. Yeah. Because <laughs> they don't want anyone to get their feelings hurt or, you know, their reputation's injured. But you know what? When you're not naming anybody or even the department, then call it what it is. It was an allegation of corrupt conduct. It wasn't an allegation. Again, they are a guarantee that when they got the complaint on this one, they didn't yep. say, oh, I want you to investigate this unsatisfactory conduct. <laughs> they said corruption. So the they two called it what it was, and we got to start doing that. And the stupid. The two people still have their jobs, right? Oh, probably promoted, Pete. So <laughs> could you imagine if, um, uh, I don't know, if either of the businesses you work in, could you imagine if you did a performance report on someone and your performance report said unsatisfactory conduct? <laughs> would they stay in their job? Yeah. Would, would, would there be no consequences for that? Wouldn't happen in the private sector. But mm. we, we see unsatisfactory conduct and that's meant to placate the public into thinking, well, at least it wasn't corrupt, so we're happy. Yeah. Well, we're happy that, it was just unsatisfactory. Yeah, and that's where the, the, the chief minister in this instance has to come out and make comment on this to, to, to explain to people what's happened, if anything, because yeah. this, looks like, this looks like an auditor general's report to me and nothing's going to ever happen and these mm. guys will be promoted. 
And, uh, you know, this will continue. This will just continue until it is, until there is enough evidence. I don't know how much evidence you need of corruption. I guess when you start, when they're making money off of the deals, and who's to say they didn't? I don't know. Yeah. That's just broken. It's just broken, and they can't investigate it properly. Chris, you said before that you uh, emailed the chief minister some questions. Uh, could you outline for us the detailed response that you got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't expecting anything, so just nothing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, look, he, he's got uh, – yeah. But they've gone on for this long, this many years, never explaining anything about anything going on in the department. Yeah. So. And so that that is in, in, in flagrant breach, can I say, of the member's code of conduct. Yet, um, you know, we saw last year Kezia Purik um, in the in the investigation, the ICAC investi- investigation into her and the, her conduct, and that was um, found to be uh, well corrupt. And oh yeah, he, he did use that word. He did. One, he did. Yeah. Um, in fact, he said an investigation by the ICAC has found that Miss Purik, by the actions outlined in this investigation report. Engaged in corrupt conduct between 2018 and 2020. That's straight out of the report. Yeah. Yet, what has happened since then? Okay, she got deposed as speaker. The conduct was corrupt. Hmm. Why have there not been any charges brought? Well, yeah, look, from what I understand, there's issues there. And what I understand was during the last parliament, there's issues with the ICAC Act itself. And so those charges against Kezia were from the ICAC Act, not the criminal code. And so from what I understand, it's easier for them to get charges from the criminal code through DPP than it would be for offenses against the ICAC. Now, I'm not clear on everything. And this was actually supposed to be brought up in the last parliamentary sittings, and it wasn't. And so I imagine that it will be this time, or to my knowledge, it wasn't last time. If it did, they must have. Well, I went back and heard Michael Gunner's press conference on this issue. On Kezia. On Kezia. Oh, yeah. Right? And and he said that, uh, you you know, the government is standing back. The government's not really not getting involved. ICAC is independent, which is all correct. Mm -hmm. Um, ICAC has made recommendations or, or, or made findings, and those findings will be will be referred. Hmm. Now, I would have thought they get referred to the Department of Public Prosecutions who makes a decision on whether to pursue the matter or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, do we know whether that was considered, what, what happened? Look, officially, I we don't know. No. I don't know. I mean, this has gone on this long. But, you know, the other part there where Michael Gunner did have a part to play is referring her to privileges. Mm-hmm. In yeah. Parliament, and yeah, we talked about this. Yeah, and nothing has happened. Yeah, today. that's right. And even when he was referred to privileges, yeah. right, and it um, definitely didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, and he <laughs> shut that down pretty quick before a debate could even <laughs> begin. But uh, yeah, look, something's got to. But yeah, that's it, right? You're getting to the point that this is turning into Auditor General stuff, where we can see the corruption, we know what's going on, but there are no consequences for yeah. anybody, and that's just. Uh, got to change it needs to change here and uh, yeah so so the parliament itself to protect itself or to, yeah. to to clean up its image and protect its integrity should be referring her and she should have been referred to now i understand she was referred or something they discussed doing it during the last parliament and then we had an election and so yeah. that just went by the wayside so now it's you know coming upon the this parliament yes yeah. legislative assembly to to refer her and they haven't done that yet mm. 
And so as far as the, the, the actual charges go with the DPP, it's been referred there. I mean, officially, I don't know that they've made any comment on it. They haven't yet. What's the slogan you were throwing around last week? NT, no consequences, no something or other. Oh, God, I mean, it? It's got to be on the bumper sticker out on my car somewhere. But <laughs> it's got T-shirt written all over it, I was oh, thinking. Yeah, no the See, I mean, look what sure. it says in this report. It says, the final finding above, which was that on the balance of probabilities, yeah. uh, Ms. Purick engaged in corrupt conduct that may constitute an offence under the ICAC Act by misleading me while she was under oath and under examination pursuant to Section 34 of the Act. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ken Fleming says, the final finding above is not a finding that Ms. Purick has committed any offence, which I find a bit odd, but anyway, my determination under the ICAC Act is made on the balance of probabilities. The commission of an offence is determined by a court on a different standard of proof, which is beyond reasonable doubt if it's a criminal offence. Mm -hmm, yeah. Okay. Uh, nor is it a comment as to the prospects of success of any such an action. The decision to take forward a prosecution belongs to the Director of Public Prosecutions. The determination of such prosecution is entirely a matter for the legal process in a court. I will refer a brief on the final point above to the Director of Public Prosecutions for his consideration. Now, the fact that nothing has happened, would you could infer that the Director of Public Prosecutions looked at it, decided that... Um, amongst other things, that on the test of beyond reasonable doubt, this wasn't able to be proved. I mean, and, and, you know, yeah. right? But but nothing has been said about it. No, no. And they probably should be making a public comment about it. Mm. Yeah. And in fact, well, in fact, the DPP has an obligation to do that. And in fact, we've, we've had to call them on their own code of conduct before where it says you, you you know things that are matters that are in the public interest need to be commented on if they're not going to be pursued so yeah that's something we'll have to follow up with dpp because they are obligated to tell the community what's going on there but i'm telling you that there's also something going on with this the way that information act or the icac act sorry is put together and they had said before last parliamentary sittings that it was going to come up that they had to do revisions to that legislation and that didn't appear to happen so I'm wondering if, if, you know, if there are issues with that, that that's why charge like that is hard to, to make stick, maybe. Mm. And that's why we haven't seen anything. But there's so many other things they can do here. But it's just, again, this whole idea of not any consequences. And this is just going to continue. It's just going to continue the way it is. We, we bring it up and it's the only place in the world where that happens, where yeah. the stuff gets exposed and then yeah. just swept back under the carpet. Yeah, and, yeah. and we still we play, um, you know, national games there. <laughs> exactly. Gotcha. Yes. Well, uh, another topic we've been talking about for a while that, um, you know, I'm sure those looking for a, a late night drive through will be a bit disappointed, but, uh, Woolworths have announced that uh, they're going to scrap the Darwin Dan Murphy. Any plans for Dan Murphy in Darwin? So last night I got a call about this before it happened, and I was like, oh, "That this can't be true." I mean, it was a, <laughs> it's a pretty good source, but it yeah, changed the law for it, didn't it? Well, the whole story of that Pete is just so crazy. <laughs> it's just so, but and so I thought, you know, they've come this far. Well, they changed the law for it after they changed the law to forbid it. Yeah, <laughs> right? like right. It's, it's yeah. bizarre. But 
They took their meds that day, but not the other <laughs> <Yeah>. day. <laughs> and then not to mention the fact that they actually passed legislation then to prevent Woolies from suing them. Wow. After yeah. they blocked it the first time. This was in 2016, right. 2017. Um, but I mean, I've gotten this call and then these people are saying this is going to happen tomorrow. And I thought, surely, you know, they've come this far. They're not going to. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that it's taken this long. They, I mean, it is a proof, right? It's not like the government has yeah. vetoed it. This is the parent company, Woolworth. Woolworth saying, we're not going to go ahead with it because we don't think we've done enough community consultation. Um, uh. Yeah. So, you know, they've been pretty good about doing that. And they've been certainly out promoting that and Endeavor Group who is yeah. a subsidiary that runs the Dan Murphy's. They've been saying, look, we've we've done all the consultation. I mean, this is just such a long, drawn-out, sordid saga that yeah. uh, it's just unclear how or why things even happen the way that they happened at the beginning and, and all the way through. But, but yeah, so today they decide, no, we're not going to do it. And you got to think that, you know, in the grand scheme of things for Woolworths, uh, you know, for going through all this, all the sunk costs that have gone into this, the legal fees, the yeah. um, uh, community consultation expenses and everything else and flying people here and all of the hard bargaining with government. And, the, you know, they were at the civil administrative tribunal at one point and all of this, too. And, yeah, yeah. And then let's not forget that the, 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 the Independent Liquor Commission blocked them from coming. Yeah. And then Gunner turned around and then <laughs> rode in on his white yeah, horse. <laughs> well, repeal, yeah, basically overrode them and uh, said that it was up to the director of liquor licensing then to decide. But I mean, this independent body, I mean, here's a guy, the, the, the transparent, we're bringing accountability and transparency back to government. Yeah. Who, you know, in his whole transparency guidelines in 2016 or what he was going to bring in, that was the whole thing about statutory appointments and keeping everything at arm's length, letting decisions happen independently from government. And then when that happens, then he goes back and he, and he undermines it completely mm. and undermines. And so doing that undermines the confidence of the public in, in, in the systems that are in place yet again. Yeah. And in this case, with himself, I think, you know, like that day that he got up and he, and he finally switched and he said, and this was when the Liquor Commission rejected it. And he got up and said, oh, it's a kick in the guts for me and everybody in the territory. We really want this here. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> like you have just spent four years fighting this thing yeah. at that point, like three years. And like just you changed the legislation. First of all, they enacted this whole 400 square meters thing. Right. So mm -hmm. back in December 2016. Mm. Uh, Dan Murphy's and, and Endeavor, they were about to announce this whole big project, right? At the, the airports across uh, the airport ground across from uh, Bunnings there, yeah. Vega Road, um, that they were going to do this. But just before they did it, they did like this Midnight Gazette thing where they went in and then forbid yes. any. Yeah, uh, Was there some sort of uh, urban myth story involving Alf Leonardi in relation to that issue? Well, no, this is all true. Like, that's true. And we'll get into that. So, mm -hmm. so when that happens, though, 400 square meters, now they have no evidence whatsoever. I mean, at the time we're asking, where this 400 square meter, where did that even come from? Yeah. Mm. And then there was something like there was a new liquor outlet in Palmerston that was set up that happened to be just under 400 square meters. <laughs> 
And I was like, okay, that's a little weird. You know, the allegations then being that he was working with uh, hospitality or the hotels association, they were called at the time mm. and T and then there were these, this checklist that they had sent around to, to government or to, to both political parties before the 2016 election. And Gunnar said, yeah, I'll do that. One of the things was keep it below 400 square meters. I mean, that number was so arbitrary. And Gunner was, you know what they did to us? Like his media guys, Cameron Angus and Craig Rouston. This is when I was at the NT News. They sent me and Ben Smee these two reports. I know this isn't those reports. Those are academic reports. It says that the size of a, of a retail, of a liquor, liquor retailer uh, does have a detrimental effect and, and adds to increased alcohol harm in the community. And they said it's in there. And we're like, so we read it. We read both reports. And we went back to them and said, it doesn't say that anywhere. In that. <laughs> like nowhere in there. Yeah. I guess they didn't think we were going to read it. Yeah. But we read it and we said, it's not in there. And then they continued this charade for another year at least. And then they had Trevor Riley come and do this alcohol mm -hmm. review. And he found, and this is an NT-centric then, finally, an alcohol review that's specifically about the, the unique challenges in the Northern Territory. And he finds out oh, the size of a liquor store. Why would that make any difference? Why would that contribute more to harm? Like, he yeah. finds the price mm. yeah. most definitely mm. contributes. So the cheaper it is, the more harm there's going to be. Yeah. That much we know. But the size, the actual physical size, structure of a building yeah. doesn't do this. But there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense in any of this stuff. So Gunner then repeals that 400 square meter thing um but he kind of does that because he has to and he's looking bad at this point and by this point everything's turning the tide's turning on him he's not as strong as he was but it was elf leonardi and look getting to that point right so like i i talked to shane tremble a lot during that time and he was the guy he's since retired now but he was the guy uh on endeavors drinks group they were called at the time they've since taken drinks out of their name <laughs> They're ashamed of themselves. <laughs> I don't. I don't get that corporate nonsense. But they're now just hitching their name to the first fleet, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> they'll change that. Pretty sure there wasn't a first fleet shipmate. <laughs> the Endeavour, not the young Endeavour. Was that James Cook's boat, the Endeavour? He wasn't the first fleet, you doofus. Oh, whatever. Well, they'll be changing the name. The first responders. <laughs> so, you know, at the time, though, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing this stuff, and I remember I was away, and, and it came out that, that Elf Leonardi lied to Gunner. And this is the first time he lied to Gunner. So he didn't, he apparently didn't even tell Gunner that he had a meeting with the Endeavor Drinks people who were championing this Dan Murphy's. And in this meeting, and these guys had copious notes. I mean, they're professionals. They're not used to dealing with clowns like we have in this place. <laughs> so they, they come in there taking notes. And at one point, you know, Elf Leonardi gets up and he says to them, you guys are nothing but a Bunnings for drunks. <laughs> and I'm not going to let you in here because I run this place. I'm wow. Elf Leonardi. <laughs> and uh, and like this sorry, is, sorry, hang on. Yeah, I added the was last. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that was an official. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wanted you to get the essence of how that came across <laughs> to them. But he said, "You're Bunnings for drunks, and we're not going to let you in." Right. That's what he said. Mm. And he is awfully an arty. Mm. And he runs the place, or he ran the place until <laughs> he's, he got caught doing these comments. <laughs> yeah. So. So that very much happened. And, and at that point, that was the first time that Gunner's integrity really took a hit. And I remember writing an analysis piece for the NT News about that and saying, this guy's quickly losing 
the credibility he needs to to bring about those reforms, those integrity reforms in government that he got elected on. And I mean, wow, we've come so far since then. <laughs> I mean, that was the first time that we started to see that this guy's not going to live up to his end of the bargain here. And I got to go dig that, that column out again. It's probably online somewhere. Um, I think it upset them. And then I got calls and, the, and they were saying, how dare you say that Elf Leonardi should be sacked over this for lying to the chief minister. And I said, guys, this is Gunner's office. And I said, yeah. I didn't say that he should be sacked. Like, where'd you guys get that from? I mean, I imagine he would do the honorable thing and fall on his <laughs> sword here to protect the integrity of his boss. Yeah. But little did I know how bad this was going to get at that yeah. point. I mean, this is early 2017 when all this is just getting on. started at that point. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it just got worse. And then we got these deals and all this stuff that, you know, ICAC investigations now into like all corners of his office. Let's not forget the cocaine sex scandal and that, that yeah. his office's handling of that is still under investigation, as is the member, um, as is Elf for, for the grandstand stuff, as is, yeah. you know, it's just all. There's and a lot it all to look at. There's a lot for, yeah. for Ken Fleming to pump up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and June 30. Be, yeah. oh, we're going to need a little more detail now, <laughs> on the one today. So can we just um, yeah. assume out of all of this, right? I know that they go on about all this high-level stuff, but can we just assume that Woolworths have figured out that it's not profitable for them to be here with all the other liquor outlets they've already got? I think that ultimately when we were trying to figure why would they do this the way they yes. did this today, yes. right? Yes. And this has to be it about the, the appearance of yes. being a good corporate citizen. And basically what I was getting at earlier, and I think we, we digress, um, Darwin doesn't mean that much to them in the grand scheme of things. So they're thinking we can atone for some of our sins in other places and things that we've done before mm -hmm. by showing and pointing to Darwin and saying, look, we listened to the community there. We were respectful of indigenous uh, community members' wishes. We wanted to protect the community. We wanted to work with the community. That's what we've done in Darwin. There you go. And really, what does it matter to them? They don't care. They have bigger things that they can now use this as leverage and point to and say, yeah. look, hey, we're the good corporate citizen. In this particular case, now we want to go into Queensland or WA Let's somewhere. Let's open a super barn somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And look, we, yeah, we'll, we'll consult. We'll do all this stuff. And I think that that's really where they're where they're coming from on yeah, this yeah. and that it really doesn't matter to well, them. Well, I got on the uh, NT News website uh, this afternoon just to have a uh -oh. quick look um, of, of their version of this story. Hmm. And what piqued my interest there was uh, 17 comments on the editorial. Mm. And, Chris, i got to tell you, mate, and we've talked about this in relation to crime and Indigenous communities, but there was a fair degree of vitriol from people that feel that the uh, – Aboriginal um, social organisations that were obviously against this, uh, that uh, obviously put some form of pressure on Woolworths to uh, conduct an inquiry or to do something other than to go ahead, um, have effectively held the majority of the Darwin population to ransom. Mm. And it goes towards that, R word that I was talking about before, which is, uh, you know, resentment. Mm. Mm. And, and I'm just, you know, all of these little things, in my view, have the potential to build up into something big. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know how they were able to, 
to sell it like that kind of like you know the the dan murphy's that doesn't exist here is somehow responsible for all of the ills yeah in the bag of community mm. like i still don't get the logic of that one because yeah. they're looking at other things here because if, if if they were serious about that then they have to start fixing things up now Dan murphy's doesn't exist it does not exist here, but somehow it's responsible for all the problems. So look at what, mm. what actually exists here and start cleaning that stuff up first. Well, that was one of the comments. One yeah. of the comments was, you, you know, you increase yeah, yeah, the floor price for alcohol in the territory. What has that done? Because we have more drunks now than we had before. Uh, and look, this is what Leah Finacchiaro was, was really on about today too, is that this whole thing shows the fundamental flaws in labor's alcohol policies from the beginning that they say clearly aren't working. I mean, we've got all of these ills. I mean, we should be able to have a Dan Murphy's if these policies are strong enough and in place to prevent these social harms from happening because of that. And then why can't we have a Dan Murphy's here? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I, I hate getting into the statistics and stuff because those are all, you know, manipulated, but well, we're, not seeing, we're not seeing any evidence of anything coming down of those policies working at this point. Right. So there's one statistic I wouldn't mind talking to you about, which was one of the comments that was made, and that is, and, you know, because I, I don't go to the shops every evening like you do. Uh, <laughs> what, is it, is I try it, to keep things fresh. <laughs> <laughs> is it true that um, for certain amounts of certain types of alcohol here, they're, they're half the price – in cans than they are here because Where? of the fl- alcohol of uh, the floor price. Where would it be cheaper? In cans, like can- what's the alcohol? I mean, I'm presuming okay. it's cask wine or something. Like, well, yeah, my, my understanding with cask wine is that the Northern Territory is the only place that you can't buy the four liter casks. You can only buy two liters, right? Whereas everywhere else you can... Well, one of the comments say, was, you know, I can go to Cairns and buy this alcohol. Well, I don't know uh, if it would be half price, but it would be cheaper. I mean, right, by right. definition, it has to be cheaper because yeah. they don't have the same floor price. So what is the floor price, do you know? No, I don't. Uh, Depends on what it is. dollars something a litre, was it? It was. It's going to be more than that. Um, and, and it's is based uh, on certain version. alcohol, though, isn't it, Chris? Yeah. It's like basically beer and wine are the ones that fit into that because... The, one. the spirits are yeah. already so highly priced yeah, that yeah. it wouldn't matter. Yeah. But like I remember when that came in, we didn't really see an increase in beer prices at all. Right. The beer prices stayed the same too. So I think right. this was for yeah, those kind of casks. Yeah, I think yeah, I think wine. it's pretty specific. Yeah. And and like I don't think anybody's complained about that either. Right. Hmm. Because it I didn't notice it. Nobody really noticed it. Like if you're buying that cheap You're not buying any casks? No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yeah, yeah. I don't know, but look, has that prevented anybody from anything? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But I think that the majority of well, look, we know. I mean, we've we've done an official poll. I don't know what the NT News are doing their online poll, which is such a joke. But look, a real official poll showed that, like, you know, four years ago, it was something like seventy three percent of Territorians wanted Nat Murphy's here, Mm. and yeah, and it seems like we should be able to get one, but. I don't really understand the benefit, to be honest. It's just a brand. So BWS is the same people. 
Hmm. Right. Well, but the the selection. You've been there, and you've been yeah, here. Yeah, like yeah. the first time that I went to Dan Murphy's, I think was in Queensland, and I thought, oh my god! Like, Man, I grew up with Dan Murphy's. It yeah, was, yeah, it you were used to it. Yeah, yeah, but I was used to shopping here, and I get down there, and they have. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a wonderland. Yeah, it's almost like yeah, a place in Canada or something. But, um, and they had this like fantastic beer, and I don't know if it's like their own, but this Endeavor beer it's called, oh, and yeah. it was Amber yeah. Ale. Yep. And that's my all-time favorite beer. Now, you can't buy an amber ale in this town. Routinely, sometimes it might go through the Nightcliff BWS. Oh, yeah. They seem to have more of a supply. Um, and some of the independent places. But it's to get an amber ale in town here is very difficult. Yeah, that's my yeah. favorite kind of beer. And so I was looking forward to going and buying some amber ale. Yeah. But won't be able to do that now. So, yeah, I get that. And I, you know, and I get why the local independent guys were against it too, but they're saying it'll cut into the yeah. thing. But I think it comes down to selection for yeah. us and that we just wanted more. Yeah, I suppose it's well, for me, it's a bit more than that, you know, because I mean, I'm not much of an alcohol drinker, but you know, I, I, I saw Dan Murphy's as well, as they, as you've said in the story here, a liquor store was, was to be the anchor tenant of a major multi-million dollar commercial center yes. uh, on an NT Airport's property. I'm glad you brought that up. That is the critical issue Yeah, it here. is. It is. Yeah, it you is. know, you may not go to Dan Murphy's. Uh, you may go to Dan Mur- Murphy's. But bringing that Dan Murphy's to the territory was going to attract other businesses. So what was coming with it? Uh, I don't think that they ever really announced those other stores, but they, they had the images and the, you know, concepts of what would be there. And it was like these kind of power center type things. Right. Krispy Kremes. Uh, um, yeah. Um, that is bigger than the, the last number I was looking that up last night as we were doing that story, 40 million. Mm. And I put that high up because that is, that's like private money. That's yeah. like, they weren't asking the government for a handout here on this. This was that, yep. but it was actually going to be worth much more to the airport authority than that. That was the private investment we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, they've now lost out on that because look, there was even some talk later today that, uh, well, maybe they'll ultimately go somewhere else some other time. Like it might not be dead in the water completely. They might just have to take it off the airport thing. But, you know, I think it was difficult for the airport and they'd be interested and they kind of laid low today. I didn't hear anything from them about that. And that'll probably come out tomorrow. It'll be on radio or something, but yeah. they should talk to them because, you know, at a time where, you know, with the pandemic and all of that stuff, I guess they were looking for ways to generate money and that this was, yeah. and this is, you know, private investment. We'll get into all that too, but the 70, you know, what is it? It's run by, I was, I saw that in an old thing when they announced that uh, hotel redesign there that it's owned by Palisades and IMF group with supers and 70,000, they said, territory and supers right. are involved in that, uh, retirement investments. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's 70,000 territories who missed out on some stuff here. But I think that what this did, and, and I think, you know, now this being the, the, the conclusion here to this point, that, that it, it re reiterates the problem with doing business in the Northern Territory and the, the idea of that, right? The stigma 
in the rest of the country and even internationally. Like, you know, I told you when I was at the NTNews, I was getting calls with the CLP government from, from people in Singapore saying, we're not doing business with you. You guys <laughs> have these clowns come over here. Yeah. Um, that's just the reputation the Northern Territory has. It's not a good place to do business and what Gunner's done in this. And this isn't just today. And, you know, I saw people getting upset and saying, oh, you know, Gunner didn't do this. No, he screwed this up from the very beginning. And getting back into all those, you know, hurdles that he's put up and made this private company, this company that was coming in, creating jobs, 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 as he says, <laughs> creating real jobs with private money. Uh, he got in the way of from the beginning. His government interfered with this from the beginning. And it was the message that was sent around that the NT is not a good place to do business. I mean, mm. that's the only way you can look at this in the end. And now here's the company is saying, oh, look, it just wasn't worth it. You know, ABC 730 report was up last week and did a a story about that about this right yeah so it, it made national news yeah and this is before their decision so i think that that might have played a part they're realizing we're taking a beating here you know the guardian <laughs> was writing stories about yeah. how um how they should be stripped of uh all of these uh, you know in from indigenous groups and did indigenous groups should disrespect Woolworths now because they're trying to put it down. Murphy's in the middle of a dry community, I'll tell you, in the middle of a dry community. You know, the Guardian said that. Yeah, I mean, this was, they were writing this stuff nationally. I'm not sure that they ever stepped foot in Darwin to actually see what was going on yes. here. But that story became SBS was reporting it today. Oh, finally, they dropped their dry community store. <laughs> it's, it was not going in a dry community. So um, I think the Woolies looked at that and just, we're getting reputational harm here. Yeah. I mean, it's already bad enough dealing with these idiots in government there. Mm. But I mean, what's the message? What does Woolies tell all of its corporate friends? I mean, the message from everybody is don't invest in the NTC. It's going to be too difficult. Yeah. The only ones who actually do now, like we said before, are ones who come with their cap in hand saying, give us millions of dollars and we'll do something here in the NT. Yeah. And that's not what we want anymore. We no. were tired of that. In fact, Langelant reports had stopped doing that. Stop giving these other companies money. You get real private investment mm. and they can stand on its own two feet. Oh, like yeah. a group like Woolies. And shame on you for not already knowing that. <laughs> well, <laughs> really? <you> would, <laughs> yeah, but they had to read it in a report. <laughs> so I, I must, I must um, uh, quote the quotes in your story. Um, and, oh, gosh, you God bless Robin Lamley, i got to tell you. <laughs> she said, dealing with layers and layers of incompetent, short-sighted ministers and officials and being blocked by, quote, boundless, unquote, red tape <laughs> is enough to put off any investor. Why would Woolworths and Dan Murphys waste any more time and money trying to negotiate with these Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what they said. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's a very sad story, mate. But look, we'll just leave that there for the time being and, and hopefully revisit it at some stage with some better news. Flights from India suspended as infection numbers continue to rise in NT quarantine facility. We're up to 52, I understand, or 53 total it active was, cases. Yeah, I think it was 53, and they, they haven't announced any new ones for a couple of days, and that makes me uncomfortable because we've yeah. had this all coming in. Mm. So, you know, this issue, we just, yeah, um, just, oh, it just goes back to this stuff. Look. Here's where I would start this one. During the week, Scott Morrison announced that those flights from India would be, would stop the repatriation flights. There was only one jurisdiction who didn't call for him to stop those flights. 
and that was the Northern Territory. And why mm. did the Northern Territory Cash, cash, cash. Yeah, cash. Yeah, yeah. $500 million. Yeah. And that's all they're looking for. They've got, they've got 25 people out there ready to go to work. <laughs> they need <laughs> 500. Including one of my staff. <laughs> yeah. We heard from another woman today. <laughs> a 17-year-old she had employed is out there running, <laughs> running one of the wings. She's the deputy manager. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, like, look, we talked about this last week, but I, I thought that that really put it all into context there is that this is what it's about. This is not, no longer about community safety here. You know, Gunnar even said last week, remember the 70 was actually 70. They said they've hired 70 people out of 400. And Gunnar said, oh, that's a, that's an old number. We'll come out next week and give you the new one. Yeah. Well, that's over a week ago. Since infections. He- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we're getting up there. So, 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 yeah. The prime minister takes the prime minister to come out and finally do this. Now, I mean, how we didn't know. I think we were the first ones to report that, to connect it to India. That, like, do you guys know what's going on in India? And that it yeah. didn't seem anybody was looking into that oh, at the time. 350,000 cases a, a day. day. It's yeah. a basket like, It was crazy. So we we did a story time that incident. Wait, why are we doing this? And we're starting to get these outbreaks from these flights mm-hmm. from India. Yeah. Um, in quarantine, right? There's no community transmission still, but but so you wouldn't want to be an air hostess or a, or a nah. pilot on that plane, would you? No, you wouldn't. No, I don't know why they were doing that still. Like, uh, anyway, so common sense, you know, and then Canada got on board. They blocked. And I mean, Canada wasn't even really quarantining people. Yeah. But even they said, <laughs> stop coming even in they here. they drew the line of it. Yeah. <laughs> They're the most peaceful buggers on earth. <laughs> <laughs> That's their reputation, but not all the time we can be. <laughs> and then we you can fire up over a good hockey game. And, and, yeah. and so uh, what did Scolo say today? Did he say anything interesting? You mean while he was in town? Yeah. Yeah, well, yesterday was the big yeah. He said uh, Gunner's doing a great job with uh, everything. He read from that, uh, man- was that magazine? Yeah, the Mandarin. The Mango the Mandarin, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, have, I have no idea what's going on. Like, I got an issue with that, too. Like, we weren't informed of that press conference with the prime minister. So I've got calls into them oh, saying today. Saying, that's another letter you're going to have to write, Leon. <laughs> it's go to the federal parliament now. Well, look, yeah, well, I, I think the bloody that, Australian <laughs> Senate that said that uh, right. the NT government was Gomo's in breach of his own. Yeah, oh look, I, I take it that was an oversight, but uh, oh. I'm glad I wasn't there to be honest. Well, you know what? I wanted to be there because some of the questions were really dumb. One of the questions was <laughs> from the reporter was, uh, "So, um, Prime Minister, so uh, do you have faith, uh, you know, in Michael Gunner's government to to actually run this?" And then that's it. Really? And then he says, you know, whatever. He doesn't answer the question. But he who, says, who asked that question? I don't know. I, I just Levity. saw it in the transcript. <laughs> 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 it just sounds like a really sweet relationship between you and Michael Gunner. Here's the thing. So he, he answers and he says, yeah, Gunner, you know, we're working with them. We do have faith that when they take over, everything will be good. The Osmat team is here still to, to oversee some until the transition's complete, blah, blah, blah. But the follow-up should have been like, you know, with respect, Prime Minister, you're looking at a government here who's hired 70 people out of the requisite 400. Yes. I mean, surely that's not enough. You've got to... But like, there are never any follow-up coming. I mean, this is why I don't, I'm not allowed in press conferences. <laughs> yeah. so, um, they, should, they should at least have you on phone a friend, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I would right. gladly. Um, <laughs> So, but this this whole this whole love and thing continued. So the the uh, 
the press conference was at Robertson Barracks because, you know, he's announcing the old military funding stuff that we've heard about yeah. before. But again, yeah, re- and it costs more now, more expensive um, for the exact same work. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, so then they go to the facility and then they go to Howard Springs and they're thanking everybody. But by all accounts, that was they were just a lot of backslap in between Morrison and Gunner taking credit and, really? you know, thanking them. But, but Morrison saying, oh, you know, Michael, you've done such a good job here. And I think wow. even Sam McMahon was saying, hey, you know, took him aside later and said, you know, I wasn't Gunner. He didn't really do anything <laughs> here. It's these people on the ground who are actually keeping us safe and protecting us. But so I don't I don't get where this this bromance thing is going. Like, I thought that Morrison had seen through Gunner trying to suck up to him. But it's like, well, I guess Morrison sees a, a federal election on the horizon. Maybe he's trying to uh, keep mm. as many state and territory leaders as close as possible. I don't, I don't really know. I don't get that because he's he's the one. We need somebody to call Gunner out on things here. So Morrison yeah. didn't call Gunner out. Not on any. Did he give Leah a, a leg up at all? Or? I don't know. Look, I know that there was a fundraising dinner last night. Oh, yeah. Um, and Can you I tell ended, us about that? Because I don't. All I know is just a little bit, thousands of dollar plate. I think I said three today and somebody else said uh, more like six. six uh, so, um, you know, and they're raised, they'd be raising funds for the CLP in general, but the federal election coming up. And I mean, they don't even have a candidate for Solomon yet, the CLP. Right. So maybe they were going to, yeah, yeah. I don't know, look for people at the event. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You think I, Dave might make a comeback? <laughs> oh, he's, he's lining up somewhere. But <laughs> well, then, just then, like to the men's room yeah. where nobody's going to be. But yeah, you go that way, Dave. So then, then my favorite bit in this article um, was what I call the, um, the Truman Show bit, which was the – Press conference uh, in a press co- uh, briefing last Thursday afternoon. Deputy Chief Health Officer Dr. Charles Payne, Dr. Payne ah, yes. said it the coronavirus test can't be really reliable, and he was talking about coronavirus testing discrepancies in India. In India, so what are they doing? They're making it up over there, are they? Yeah, apparently you can go and you can change things. You get like a family member can get a test done, and it's very yeah. easy to manipulate that and alter it, make it look like you had it done. And then you hop on your plane yeah. and welcome to Australia. Wow. So yeah, so all of that. Unfortunately, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, uh, I was talking to someone during the week, and unfortunately, their their family's been affected by it. And I said, "So, so what are they doing?" And the response was, "Well, first things first, you're advised to not go to the hospital because that's where all the other infections are right now. So it gets worse. Wow. Yeah. You only go to the hospital if it's a dire situation." And so, unfortunately, one of the family members did end up in hospital. And when I inquired a few days later as to their condition, the response was, well, they're not better and they're not over it, but they're stable so they've been sent home again Mm. because there's not enough beds and because you're at risk of catching other things if you stay in the hospital. So, you know, you're talking these countries where social distancing is not possible Due to the sheer, you know, volume of the population. So it's, you know, I mean, we, we, in one respect, we have been very fortunate. And I can't help but feel, just to digress for a moment, that the, the lack of, um, I suppose, stern word from ScoMo is due to the fact that he's probably thinking to himself, well, look, they're two and a half thousand miles away. Chances of him being able to get to Canberra or Sydney or whatever, a sweet <laughs> bug, apart from old mate with his thongs, they're sweet <laughs> bugger all anyway. So he, he probably feels pretty safe that there's not yeah. many people getting out of here with it. Yeah. Well, 
but you know yeah like we said the concerns of that community transmission and what could possibly happen when the anti-government takes over because nobody has any faith in that except i guess scott morrison the prime minister is the only one who yeah yeah who has 100 percent faith in michael gunn or jamie chalker and whoever else will be involved dr payne because our little friend where's old mate is he back yeah. under house arrest <laughs> <laughs> was he was he that, i think that was the rumor wasn't it uh, i don't yeah. know if that was the penalty he was, but. he was only allowed out for under strict conditions <laughs> yeah. at certain press conferences oh, yeah he was in the gulag <laughs> <laughs> marched back to solitary <laughs> no so so they announced that in a in a press release last week that that the good doctor heggy is uh he's taking six weeks off now oh yeah yeah you know at the time where we're transitioning to taking over he had the george the w bush one. mission accomplishment and he left <laughs> and he's gone for six weeks and they said he needed a break he was on the front line yeah. he's handled all of our problems I mean, we, we've never had community transmission, so let's be realistic about this. And I think that some of the comments were like that. I think the public understand now that, okay, let's like take a realistic look at this here. Yeah. We haven't had this, and he hasn't been under near the stress yeah. that other chief health officers are. But, you know, that being said, of course, it's a stressful job, and he did have to, mm. you know, he played his part in, in helping to manage this. So... But he leaves in the middle of this, like, as they're about mm. to take over. But I guess, really, if anyone knows anything, it's Jamie Chalker's in charge of everything. So yeah, yeah. don't worry, we're in good hands. He's running this town. <laughs> Meanwhile, the good the doctor's sheriff. on a family holiday to Bombay, probably. Yeah, yeah. So we can fix over there. Well, talking about mission accomplished, mate, do you yeah. want to talk about the next story? <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> So, uh, Chris, the NT police have declared the northern suburbs crime spree has been resolved. It's over. It's done. 37 young offenders have been apprehended. There is nothing to see here anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't understand this when they put this out. Like, I read that and I'm resolved. Oh, well, okay. I guess that's it then. Yeah. Everybody back in the pool. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start partying again. I'm surprised it was only 37, mind you. Well, so, yeah, it was 37 young offenders that they said were either prosecuted or put through diversion, but those 37... Your favorite word. (laughs) Yeah. Diverted to another suburb. (laughs) (laughs) Just around the corner. (laughs) Yeah. So, but here, so this, for instance, the 37... Group of 37, we're responsible for nearly 300 charges. Wow. 300 offenses. That's 10 H. Yeah. Well, they're doing pretty good there. Age between 10 and 16. Age between Mm. 10 and 16. Uh, Wow. So police did the other thing was like, I thought, oh, it's really nice and neat that they've cleaned this up all within a quarter. Yeah. Um, They said from January 1 to March 31st, Strike Force Trident dealt with 110 cases involving 37 youths. Uh, who detectives had identified in December as, quote, a large group of emerging youth property <laughs> offenders. As opposed to emerging leaders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. These are the best and the brightest that we've got a youth property offenders coming up. Watch next year. These guys will be everywhere. They'll be bigger and better. They'll be under capital crimes. <laughs> and uh, we laugh because it's... Yeah. So goddamn annoying. Yeah, and just, my God, and to think that they can put this out and say that basically, <laughs> all right, it's all over. Yeah. Well, I mean, try telling the residents up there. And, well, you, know, you have. You said of the 37 young offenders apprehended, 12 of those who 
who the two of those who were put through youth diversion, uh, and the police said that to date they have not yet reoffended. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's another one that I thought. And I realized we're missing a line in there. Anyway, a, I didn't write this story. There's but a big 12 asterisk after that. Yeah. A massive asterisk. 12 of those who were put through youth diversion, uh, police said today, have not reoffended to date. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Meanwhile, the other 25 <laughs> are, either, are either before yeah. court or in the process of being referred to court. <laughs> <laughs> now that you said 12, I can't get the thought of Dirty Dozen out of <laughs> These are the best of the best. <laughs> These guys are planning a heist that, like we've never seen in the Territory. <laughs> well, and that's it. I mean, we don't know where they are. Even well, the, the police did not say how many of the young <laughs> offenders are currently out on bail. Huh. Uh, so, so we have no idea. So uh, we got the 12 who, who they've apparently cleaned up their act now and will never reoffend. That's yeah. what they said, the 12, right? They're yeah. not reoffended. But the 25 are currently either before the courts or in the process of being referred to the court. We don't know where they are, what they're mm. doing. So Let's hope the police do. Yeah, I don't think they do. But but via we'll, some sort of GPS tracker. We'll find out. Yeah, yeah That's a good one. Isn't that becoming more and more common, though? Well, that was you, for, yeah. You go around the city or the shopping centers, they, these young ones, they wear these trackers like a badge of honour. It's almost mm. like jewellery. Really? I haven't seen one. Yet. Oh, I've seen a dozen in the last couple of weeks. In Darwin? Yeah. Well, I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm in and know. around the city. Well, they were talking about using this more. Now that was part of the bill reform, the bill uh, right. yeah, reform legislation that will come before Parliament next month or next week. Yeah. Was around using more of that than police. Maybe yeah. you've seen 12 of the 25 there, maybe. Maybe, yeah. 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 Well, if I talents. see them hanging around together, I'll tell them to separate quick smart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure they'll listen to you. won't cause you any trouble at all. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, they're very respectful. <laughs> <laughs> well, true. mate, uh, we're going to end uh, the session on uh, what's just the story seems to keep popping up. This dude. <laughs> seems to be popping up every few months or few weeks. Um, WA man from hotspot fined 5000 for entering NT border or NT without border form. A man from Western Australia who entered the NT via South Australia by the South Australian border without submitting an online border entry form has now been fined more than $5,000 after he was discovered at the campground in Yulara. Now, did you not write a story about a dude that left his car at the border in South Australia <laughs> and was found in the campground in Yulara missing his thongs? That sounds footwear. Yeah, was it Yulara too, that one? Yeah. <laughs> it was Yulara. Yeah, yeah. Is and this that, the same that dude? Was like a year ago. It's a yeah, popular was... campground for South Australians. Yeah. Well, clearly. And they just figure whatever, but... Yeah, this is. I don't know if it's the same dude who's going back or Was he fined last time? I mean, what happened? I thought they escorted him back over the border or something, didn't they? And he had to find yeah. his car. Yeah, I, I think yeah. he was fined though. No, he was. Yeah. 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 And if I it's the same dude, it's been an expensive trip. Was put in quarantine. Yeah, and this guy was fined and put in quarantine, taken to Alice Springs. So you know, so oh, he was quarantined as well. Yeah. Yeah, oh, wow. um, issue the fine. and uh, So that's another two and a half grand for quarantine, right? Yeah, take him to the Alice Springs quarantine facility. So something like last 14 days, yeah, I don't know, you know, because they declare it. This is probably a difficult thing there. And, uh, you know, yeah. they don't have the cops the way they did. Now, at the time when Old Mate was running through <laughs> 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 the bush, bush. <laughs> yeah, but barefoot. 
they had cops set up around the borders yeah. and stuff on, on the roads and stuff. So now they don't anymore. And this, from what I understand, is that you have to go online and fill out this form and say where you were and stuff. And well, I can tell you it. firsthand, right? Because I, I yeah. had to do it when I flew in. And it's a pretty simple system. Hmm. You just Google NT border form and this thing pops up and it very clearly states you cannot enter the Northern Territory without this form. You must fill it out prior to arriving and you must get your, your number, your entry code, and then when you get to the border, you'll be asked for it and you fill out a form and it's all good. What staggered me was when I got to the Darwin Airport and I got to the you know border person and she said to me, have you filled out your border form, assuming I hadn't, and handed me a form? I said, yeah, no, I filled it out. She goes, oh, great, hmm. as though, well, you're one of the few who've actually filled it out. And I thought, <laughs> what's the point of all the rigmarole of telling you if you don't, you'll be turned back? <laughs> and people behind me had not done it and filled it out as they walked in on the spot. Mm-hmm. So poor bloke gets a five grand fine for what if you fly in for, you just fill out when you get here. Well, easy, yeah. I think we need to watch this space because uh, he may be back again in another few weeks, so I suspect <laughs> yeah. the way things are going. He may have amnesia. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly sore feet. But, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. We should chip yeah. in for a pair of Havanas for him or something, eh? Now, one last thing I wanted to ask you, Chris. Uh the AFL have announced the big game. I see uh, today. I think you will. Dream do. time. Uh, yeah, some Brisbane Lions. I suspect. No. no, no, no. Gold Coast. Sorry, Gold Coast yeah. are playing somebody else. Richmond would it? No, no Richmond played here last year. But it's at the TIO Stadium again. Is it? Yeah. I was just wondering whether they might have got a uh, permit by then. <laughs> they've, got an, they've got an insurance uh, deal for that game. There's, there's definitely no permit, and I can tell you that we're still working on that. We haven't given up on that, and we talked about that last time, some penalties here for people who knowingly put people in the public. Yeah, at in, risk. Um, at risk, yeah. yeah. Even so, if it doesn't fall down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're, they seem to just – like there's a lot of stuff that happened last time with the AFL thing and they, they were forced to put out the statement. Right. But yeah. remember that that was during election time mm. and the government was concerned clearly about that people were going to be upset and not vote. Yeah. That they'd be losing votes. They'd lose whatever. So they, it seemed that they got the department to put out a thing this time. They're just ignoring it completely and hoping it goes away. Are and you it, talking to the AFL? Yeah, we, well, we have, we did last year. I haven't yet this year, but I will. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be sending them I, t- I cannot yeah. believe that they would knowingly do that. Yeah. Knowing how strict their protocols are on leasing agreements and ground agreements that they have, I just I can't believe it. Yeah, the insurance liability risk yeah. and everything. Uh, we, we're appealing to some people. There might be some sort of intervention that can happen here. To um, because something something needs Chris. you can't you can't just continue you can't just pretend that everything's no, fine. That's right. And that people nothing to see here. Like people. you just can't do it. So that, so, but I mean, this is the highest authority in the land. The anti-government are the ones who, <laughs> who enforce the rules and who make the rules. And what they're, about they're, the not, they're not living by. You told me the fireys weren't happy about it last time. Yeah, I wish that they would come forward and tell us something because we've gone to the union, we've asked them for yeah. comment, and either they're afraid to come out about it because they're afraid of Michael Gunner. Mm, or wow. whoever else, Jamie Chalker, I don't know, but they're not commenting. But we hear from reliable sources inside that 
these people are upset about this. And then rightfully so that their lives are at risk for going into a building without proper, uh, you know, safety requirements or or water measurements, um, water hydrant pressures. This is the the amount of water that pumps per second. It is is not up to standard. Not even the basic minimum requirement. Right. So that's where the problem is. Yeah. And yeah. And so these guys, we understand they're upset. I would appeal to anybody who does it, come and tell us what's going on here. We don't have to name you, but we've got to start getting some, the, we the the pressure needs to be put on the anti-government to fix this fine. I mean, it's dragged on. Yeah. It's dragged on since 2009. That's when they first became aware that there were non-compliance issues. They still don't have an occupancy permit for the whole of the building. They still don't have, it's still non-compliant. So, Mm. And it's still putting people at risk every time. So, yeah, that's crazy with the FL. I haven't seen that, but I'll be following that up with them. And like I said, there are some other bodies, I think, that can come and intervene in this. And uh, that's Anybody where we're going Anybody federally over, overarch this? Yeah, you, yeah. This is the territory style set yeah, up? We're, we're working on that. Yeah, yeah nice. that's what I can say. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, they're not going to get away with this again. And then, uh, uh. yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah, anyway, I just can't believe that they're not even attempting to fix no. this either. Like, it's just, oh, well, we'll get around to it when we do. Yeah. So, not good We're enough. We're working on it. Yeah. All right, mate, one last thing. I want to plug the Ward Keller Budget Breakfast that's coming oh, yes. up uh, in a couple of weeks. Yep. Because, uh, well, this podcast comes out on Thursday, on f- Saturday. Uh, Monday's a public holiday. Tuesday, the budget gets handed down. Mm-hmm. The following Thursday is the 18th annual Ward Keller Budget Breakfast. We're going to have a panel of um, uh, industry leaders and our moderator is going to be uh, none other than Mr. Christopher Walsh yes, from the yes. NT Independent. Yep. So bring your tomatoes and your eggs. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, to- uh, tomatoes and eggs will be served. Oh, so yeah. So you have to bring that. That's, uh, just that's just right. a ten. <laughs> <laughs> so where can they get tickets? Uh, tickets, uh, f- uh, go down on Facebook, um, look up Ward Keller Budget Ward Breakfast. Keller. And uh, yeah, it's and who's the charity that gets the? All right, so all the profits from the breakfast will be donated to NT uh, volunteers. Oh yeah. So um, all the people that are out there volunteering, uh, there's a charity that's set up uh, specifically for that and to promote people uh, doing volunteer work. Mm. uh, And all the profits will yes go there, so it'll all stay in the NT. Brilliant. Yeah, this is the. least celebrated budget that I've ever <laughs> mm. heard of. Like, I think most yes. people don't even realize it's coming out yeah. this next week on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, so what does that mean? I mean, yeah, we're not hearing a lot. I mean, he's doing, what, $2 million bucks for hospitality. That's supposed to be a budget sweetener to, to attract, you know, foreign work, or to, to attract workers, I mean, not necessarily foreign workers, but to get workers up here. And he's doing these sweeteners, but they don't seem to be very good. But I expect over the weekend, this thing will run on Saturday. So expect some big splash on the front page of the Northern Territory Government News, as it's called. <laughs> yeah. The government news that will be about budget, some big splash thing. Either that exclusive. Sunday, Monday exclusive. Yeah. Here's yeah. what the government's doing. We won't question it. We won't go to the people who are affected by it. But here's what the government wants us to tell you. Unadulterated. There you go. Yeah. They're unfiltered. So it's... Uh, yeah, th- those things will happen now in the next little while, but I, I can't imagine that there's going to be much around there for that that we don't see. But I mean, it's it, not a lot's leaked out to this point, so yeah. mm. what, not a lot to leak, maybe. Yeah, it didn't seem like anybody had a lot of 
Well, the leaking's happening in the budget itself. <laughs> it's been leaking. I mean, for we've years. got uh, you know we'll have to look at that headline debt figure. Mm. Uh, it was eight point four billion, I think, at the end of the last report, and um, yeah, I uh, don't know where it's at at the moment, but you know, yeah, I don't think anybody that we spoke to here had any faith that uh, this was going to be a good news budget for anybody, and you know, the idea is just how they're going to spin this, and mm. I'm I'm betting they're going to go with. Uh, uh, comeback capital. Oh yeah, well that's we're that, the that, that's been, and we're that's doing been tested. It, I'm sure it's been what, what do they call it when they tested uh, focus group testing? Oh yeah, yeah. focus group testing. But, but I mean, like we heard today, uh, this is the recovery. This isn't this big boom time thing here. This isn't. Yeah. This is nothing to really. This isn't sustainable. What's going on here? And this is not even what it was at before. So. Yeah, it's good. there's going to be a lot in the budget on Tuesday to kind of get our head around and get through it, so that'll be good, and I'm sure we'll talk about it next week. And then, yeah, really looking forward to that budget breakfast. Yeah. Mm. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. See you next week. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walshy back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to TerritoryStory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.